Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Michael Lai, the founder and CEO of Reconciled, a virtual bookkeeping and accounting services firm for busy business owners and entrepreneurs across the US. Michael founded Reconciled in 2016 that grew quickly to be recognised by Intuit in both 2016 and 2018 as a firm of the future. Michael is also a co-founder of PunchPay, a small micro-loan fintech startup that offers post-payment and micro-instalment loans for small businesses and the underbanked. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Michael Lai. Lai, welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast. Thanks, Stu. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> now, as you're the founder of a couple of companies now, yeah, this is pretty interesting. Um, firstly, a bookkeeping firm and now a, uh, a micro-loan facility. So why don't we go back to the start? What got you into accounting? What was your... Uh, journey to uh, founding businesses, and let's explore the founder's story, hey? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I started in accounting because my now brother-in-law was dating my sis- older sister at the time. I was 12 years old, met him when they were started dating, and he was an accountant. And so right. he actually, at the place he worked, he actually hired me to go do data entry work during the summers <laughs> at his company that he worked at. Yeah. I assume your sister is a bit older than you, was she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were older than me. And so he was dating me, they were dating the time. So he would, he would pick me up in the summers every day and I would go do data entry work. And then eventually he taught me accounting and I took some accounting classes in high school as well. And then in college studied accounting, but I ended up taking his job. The company gave me his job when he left, they promoted me and gave me his job. And so um, that was go. my first foray into accounting. So it was, it was, I was blame my brother-in-law. <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He, I think he was excited <laughs> that he was able to train a young person in accounting and I was able to learn, learn it and got excited about it. I mean, I was, I was on my way to probably either probably become like a doctor or engineer. That was like the path that my parents wanted me to go on, but yeah, it was my brother-in-law who exposed me to kind of the world of business instead. So, and they weren't stroppy with him. They thought that that was a good path in the end. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a good path. That I did. And I always knew my parents were both entrepreneurs. So I knew at some level, I probably wasn't going to stay like a traditional accountant. I probably wouldn't stay in the profession traditionally. I really wanted mm. to do something entrepreneurial. It was innate in me just watching my parents. So really, I think when, when I think about my identity first, I would introduce myself as, as an entrepreneur to most people. And then I would tell mm. them, I, you know, I happen to be in the accounting profession. So it's probably yeah. very different than a lot of my peers who they think of themselves as accountants first. Yeah, yeah. Well, what did your parents do? How did they inspire your journey? My parents were refugees from Cambodia. They survived the mm-hmm. killing field, the genocide that happened from 75 to 79 during Pol Pot and Khmer Rouge so, reign. Yeah. So they survived that and came to the U.S. in 81. Mm-hmm. So just watching them basically create skills and start businesses out of nothing with no resources here in America. My father was a chef. And so he mm-hmm. started restaurants and worked in restaurants. And then my mother is a seamstress. She well. learned to sew and then started sewing businesses and retired, retired from that as well. And so they're both retired, but of course, any person like them who were, who's worked most of their 
life as an entrepreneur. Like even though they're retired, they still do some work <laughs> in their same field. Mm. And I think they do it just because they're, they'd be bored otherwise. When you meet most entrepreneurs, they're kind of entrepreneurs for life. They really don't want to stop. So that really was instilled in me and my siblings. Me and all my siblings are all entrepreneurs. Mm. So we all, we all um, are in different professions, but we all have built companies and been able to do that successfully, which has been great. And the migration, you know, the classic American immigrant story, although forged in pretty horrific circumstances, applies very much to your family. Where did they settle and, and have they, what sort of, you know, it sounds like they've carved an amazing life for themselves after that journey and those circumstances. So what can you share a little bit about your experience growing up in America and, and how they'd sort of reinvented themselves? Yeah. So they uh, first applied when they were in the refugee camps, they first applied to go to France. That was their first right. first preference. Yeah. That was their first preference because Cambodia used to be a, a very French influence. It was a French colony before. Yes. And so they wanted to go to France. They ended up in the U.S. and in Arizona. And so I was born and raised in Tempe, Arizona. And so that's where my parents ended up settling. My siblings are. And then my parents, when they got divorced, when I was younger, my father ended up in San Jose, California. So he's right in Silicon Valley. He's right near all the main tech company campuses. And he got remarried and raised a separate family. But my mom stayed here. And so that's just where all my siblings are here in, in Arizona. Watching them, you know, really leverage resources, leverage kind of the little that they had was really, really, I think, a great lesson to watch and not have to not have to be dependent on or solely rely on government support the whole time, but really climb their way out of that Mm. as fast as possible. Mm. That was kind of a value system that my mother taught me was to not depend or rely on government resources for your whole life, but to really leverage it to get you out of a tight spot. Yeah. And so that's what I watched them do. And then I think the other thing it taught me was even though I grew up in America, I at home, home life was very different. It was very Cambodian, very Chinese. We're Chinese ethnically. So it was very Chinese, very Mm -hmm. Cambodian, very Asian at home in a, a refugee environment. And all of the family we hung around, I was always with the Cambodian community all the time growing up most of my childhood, I would see my relatives and my other refugee friends all the time. But then my school life and church life was, was American, was very white, very American. So that (laughs) caused definitely, it gave me the ability to really be a chameleon almost like I had to switch. (laughs) I really had to switch the way I acted and the way I was. And so it really taught me a lot and I made a lot of mistakes mm. probably through the process of like, Oh, this is the way you act in this one space and this is the way you are in the other space. But, and so, you know, as an adult, I can look back on it and kind of think about the lessons I learned directly or indirectly from that experience growing up. Mm. But it's a common experience for most refugees and immigrants who, who uh, go to a westernized country like America or Australia or New Zealand or wherever. Yes. It's a very common experience to have to go through that you know, chameleon or that cultural adaptation, if you will. Yeah. Which makes it very good for me to enter new spaces, I think, because I, <laughs> I can get used to new spaces and new cultures uh, very easily. Yeah, there's coming-of-age movies that explore those different, those clash of cultures, if you like. I can imagine <laughs> that your story would would write very well <laughs> in Hollywood. But what did your siblings 
Uh, you said they're entrepreneurs as well. I imagine that that journey has influenced them greatly as well. What have they ended up as? And are they in accounting as well or different parts of industry? Yeah, they're definitely different. My older sister is a real estate entrepreneur. So she started in real estate very young in her early 20s and has made yeah. done very well, been very successful in real estate. And so that's been a huge wealth builder for them. My brother, my younger brother, he got into home automation systems. So high-end, oh, yeah. if you have a big, big home <laughs> or, an, an, or an industrial space, he actually had learned to install and program home automation systems. And now he buys and resells his own brand of home automation systems and audio systems and other electronic goods. So he's built a brand for himself for high-end, the high-end side. So they've both done very well in very different industries, which is awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you do the books for both businesses? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, we we uh, definitely don't mix a lot of uh, business with personal life uh, with each other. So we've definitely stayed out of each other's lanes, uh, not necessarily on purpose, but more just just life took us there. Yeah. And uh, I was the only one to leave Arizona. So I left Arizona right. about a year after I got married. And so in 2007, I left Arizona, went to Seattle for four and a half years with my wife and we started a family. And then after our first child, we moved to Burlington, Vermont and spent, you know, basically the past 10, 11 years in Burlington, Vermont. And that's where I started reconciled my kind of most successful venture. And for first primary venture, I started reconciled, which is a online bookkeeping accounting firm started that back in 2016. And so my wife's originally from Vermont. That's how we ended up there. So now we still spend a lot of time in Vermont and we also spend time in Arizona as well. Yeah. And we got three kids now and really three oh, great, yeah. healthy young you know, kids. They're really wonderful. And uh, so, yeah, but we've, you know, the, the journey, my journey with um, has kind of kept our entrepreneurial separate from my, my siblings, but we, we do talk about it and we give each other advice when we can and help each other out. Hmm. And uh, Burlington, Vermont, the, um, you got some good skiing and, and ice skating and snowshoeing in Burlington, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Burlington's four-season place, and it does yeah. get definitely cold during the winter. And so a lot of weekends are spent on the mountain, and that's church for most people in Vermont. Yes, yes, yes. you got Sugarbush out uh, there, right? Yeah, Sugarbush and Stowe, Killington, ah, so, J.P. Yes, I mean, there's yes, yes. a number of mountains out there. Nice. Vale Resorts has made a lot of investments throughout Vermont, so they've you know you can get a Vail, an epic pass and. Yeah, big pass, yep. go both to Colorado, any of the Vale Mountains in Vermont. So that's been great. And then, um, yeah, Burlington's a beautiful place. I, I tell people Vermont's one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived. Mm. And probably, you know, famous brands out of Vermont, Ben & Jerry's, 7th Generation, My Whip Grocer. Those are some of the things that have, that have come out of Vermont. And then Bernie Sanders, obviously, is a big name and brand that has come out of Vermont. He's been a presidential candidate a couple of times and um, very well, <laughs> very well liked and known across the country. And, and in the state of Vermont, yeah. Yes. And uh, how old are your kids? And the journey back to Arizona was to be closer to family, was it? Or hot weather? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, so we, we decided during the pandemic we want to spend more time in Arizona so that our three kids could be around my mother more, who's getting older. And yep. we just celebrated her 70th birthday, which is, which oh, is great. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and we also – so my kids are 14 – 10 and seven, two boys and a girl. 
and they're wonderful and a handful, right? So yep, outside yep, of yep. like it, it's as hard as anything you'll ever, ever do in life is to raise kids. So it's, um, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely a journey, but we wanted them to make sure they got time with the Cambodian community here and got time with my mother. So it's been great to be able to split time between Vermont and Arizona and COVID really created that opportunity for a lot of people, including for us. And since we had built Reconciled as a, a remote work company from the beginning anyways, mm. my whole team is remote. Everybody works from home or from a private office anyway. So yeah. it was easy for us to be able to split time and, and spend more time in Arizona with, with my side of the family. Yes. And let's talk about Reconciled a bit. It's uh, and How did you sort of, after you worked in your brother-in-law's firm and took his job, of course, what there must have been a an entrepreneurial idea or spark or motivation, inspiration to sort of go and do your own thing. How did that come about? Yeah. When we moved to Vermont in 2011, I started doing consulting work on my own with for companies, I, which is off. I built myself out as a part-time CF, part-time controller for companies in Vermont. And I, I found a common, the common problems, almost every small business I went to, their books were a mess. Their books were just terrible. And so I spent my my first three to six months as a glory bookkeeper, getting paid a CFO wage to do bookkeeping, right? To get the book straight and mm-hmm. then be able to do CFO work. And so I thought about that years and went, well, I think I can solve them. I should just have my own bookkeepers and create a repeatable, reliable service. So I died thinking I could do more CFO work. And what I was, the demand for just that pure chorus grew very, very rapidly. So I launched record in the beginning of January 16 as its own business, January 16. And then we just grew very fast. So today we're at 70 plus team members scattered throughout the US. We also have full-time people in South America, some of them as well. So we're in, we're in operation and we're serving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of US small businesses. And we're handling their bookkeeping, their whole, you know, everything, you name it. So it really started in my journey of just trying to help small businesses out myself as I've been realizing bigger opportunity. And then at the same time, what was happening in the US, books online and zero were just growing exponentially here. So I really wrote of yep. the cloud adoption yep. in the US as well. So it was a good time. I mean, those mid 2010s were a good time to start a cloud accounting business here in the US, the adoption rate of, yep. of cloud technology. No, definitely. And the expansion of that organizer of Reconciled, how have you managed the the growth and what's the tech stack look like in order to sort of be effective, efficient, make sure nothing slips through the cracks. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would want to say it was a pre, so I mean, obviously it's, it's hard work and it's been hard work still. I benefit now of having a leadership team and a management team layer. So I don't have to, I do a lot of the things that I did in the early are we use internally for communication. We use carbon for our workflow tracking and keep tasks in line. We use Lysio for client communication. We're a G Suite house, so we use G for email communication externally. And then for clients, QBO primarily, build.com or Melio for eight. And then we use Dex for a long formally received bank for a long time. So that's a primary mix of tools internally to, to keep in touch with the team. We do a lot of video conferencing. So we're doing a lot of Zooms or Google Meets for a video conference yes. team. And we have a rhythm of meeting weekly as a company or in team to make sure everyone's engaged and connected. We have employees in, you know, body states. So we definitely have to have that rhythm of connection whenever possible. And then we do try to get 
at least parts of the team have gotten together at least once a year for in-person meetings. So we usually do that in Vermont or usually do that in North, North Carolina because those are places where concentrated groups of employees is in the greater Burlington area of Vermont or greater Charlotte area of mm. North Carolina. We've been able to do that. The, the tech stack has been helpful and we've introduced, we've introduced new tech stack every single year. So carbon, we've been a carbon uh, house for really about a year. We started seriously using carbon. Right. Before that, we were on a previous tool crew. And so find that we find that we all, because of our growth rate, we often are outgrowing or our needs change and we have to look for new tools. But like lithium carbon have been really the past year. What about punch pay? It's another service that you've operated or started recently. Tell me about that. Yeah, so punch pay is a microlink platform. It's a completely separate company. Monitor, uh, we got together, we met in Vermont in the ecosystem there, and we set out to think about how to leverage accounting data because we were dealing with such accounting data and I had been exposed to accounting data. And these APIs were available now to most accounting systems, how could we leverage that information and help small business get access to capital in a faster way and more efficient? And we really wanted to find the, the types of businesses and the size of businesses that traditionally are banks. So in the US, they call them the bank or the banking desert, where if you don't have the, the need for a 10, 20, 30, $40,000 loan or line it, most banks and credit unions in the US don't want to work with you or work with you. So we really wanted to think about, okay, how could we serve what we call the micro lending population that needs, they need a small amount of funds to get micro business or their solo business or their small, their really small business going. They need that kind of access to capital. It's not the group that's going to raise venture capital or anything. They need $5,000, right? They need $10,000, uh, $500 for their bakery to get inventory or for their restaurant or for their construction company. So it's an alternative to credit cards, really least providing microloans, and it's doing it post-payment. So focusing on expenses that the business has already spent on, we're basically capitalizing those expenses into a loan and allowing the business to repay that loan three, six, or nine-month uh, phase. So it's a little bit of a spin on buy now, pay later for small business, but it's after the purchase has been made, and it's it's left the accounting data from QuickBooks or Zero. It's downloading the expense data. Hey, do you want to finance any of these expenses you've already spent money on, and you needed to, to spend that money, but maybe a cash flow, and you want to uh, want that working capital back for a period of time. So that's really been the was the been the focus of punch. Yeah. And so we didn't launch that too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, lending actively out to small businesses in the market, and it's been great. Uh, the our customers have really leveraging it that use it. And the small business. Payments is a very or a small business loans, small business uh, facilities are a pretty crowded space. What have you got a little sort of niche that you can go to and and understand well that uh, you know where you see that service taken up, perhaps more than in other areas. Yeah, the focus again is that the what I would call the underbanked or the non-banked small business. So it's the micro business. It's businesses mm. doing less than two hundred fifty thousand a year, right, or less than half a million a year. They're not big enough where a bank wants to give them a loan or a loan because they're not at there. They don't need 25, 30, 40,000. They need $5,000. They need $10 for their inventory or mm. a website update or whatever it is. So that's the niche. And that makes a large yeah. chunk of the U.S. small population, yeah. right? They're not going to be ever raising angel, angel money or venture capital. They're not in that world. Yeah. They are the core small business, most of the U.S. economy. Yeah, and and would you feel that that area has been 
uh, starting to at least sort of see some kind of service. You know, the stripes of the world are sort of coming down into their cabbage is another one that comes to mind that service that the, perhaps the underbanked or you f- still feel like that the area is less than serviced? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely, I really believe it's less than serviced. And when you look at capital at some of those providers currently playing, that I would call them the the, the online lenders 1.0. And those players really leverage certain kinds of information to make their loan decisioning. They really want you borrowing a good amount of money in order to, to be lent to. We really wanted to focus on, we know accounting data, we have access to it, we know how to analyze it. We can see that there are a lot of healthy businesses out there. They're just not big and they don't need big amount of capital. They need, they need simple access to a small amount of capital. And so the market definitely has a number of providers, mm. but it still wasn't serving that, that small kind of what we call micro business. Um, and that's really targeted where we can make it convenient, easy, and it could be done through your accounting data. And what, what's next? So you've got two businesses going now. You must be busy. <laughs> Hopefully you still get to see your kids a bit. What, what's, do you see a big future for the punch pay business? Are you going to uh, perhaps set it up to sell in, into some of the other services in that space? What's your idea about behind that? With Reconciled, I've been focused on acquisitions. We've been fortunate to do three acquisitions mm. in the past two years. So that's been really, really great. And then I've been kind right, of okay. steerheading that piece. Yeah. Other yep. firm, other bookkeeping firms, accounting firms that we've been able to acquire. Generally firms doing 750 to a million and a half in revenue, US-based we've been targeting. And then the, the punch pay, we're still in the beginning phases. We're yeah, right. lending out to small business customers. We're creating accounting firmships. So that's the focus that we're having on punch pay. And we'll be doing that, you know, we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future, methodical lending, especially as the, as both the market and the fintech market has, has taken a pullback, right, in general. And so we're being methodical about how we approach growth with punch pay and we want to really get through the next 12 months and to, and, and yep. to do yep. that. We think the market, you know, the market will be leveled back here uh, up there 12 months and we'll see both the fintech environment, and the lending environment. And so we feel like we're in a good position. So are you looking for more acquisitions for Reconcile? Do you think, has that been a successful way to grow? In 2000, we decided that we wanted to add on acquisitions as part of our growth strategy. So that's been definitely a, a really wonderful experience for us so far. And we definitely are looking for more. We're looking, you know, again, we're mm. looking for firms doing at least 750000 800000 a year. In and then we're now for a little larger, two, $3 million, $4 million firms out there that are US and we have criteria that we, you know, evaluate every firm. We're definitely looking for ones that, that are either out or trying to do my green cloud and have a strong brand. And so, you know, we did an acquisition recently announced last month in Tennessee of a HR business solutions. It first started out as an HR consulting firm, but they ended up pivoting into a cloud firm. So yeah. 89% of the revenue was cloud accounting and only all part was HR consulting. So mm. they were great because they were already in the same tech stack on QBO, um, <laughs> like we, we like most of our clients. And they had a remote-based team, so they had already made the full cloud migration. But we also have ones that are just on the journey of cloud migration, and they feel it themselves, so they end up merging into us yep. so that we could take care of that cloud migration and that remote work migration. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like you're busy for the uh, at least yep. the foreseeable future, expanding that through acquisition and carefully growing push pay, punch pay into a 
service for the underbanked. And uh, travel-wise, have you got uh, taking the family yeah, it's been, back it's been and forth between Arizona and Ellington by the sounds of it? Not this summer and just really going to be the weather and not, you know, in the best out of what Vermont has to offer. And then I try to, during the fall, and you probably attend a lot of the accounting conferences that come up. And so I'll be at QuickBooks Connect this December. And I usually don't bring my family to those conferences just because it's it's mainly accounting focused and not focused. So it'll it'll be great. But we definitely enjoy traveling as, as much as possible. And I'll either attend conference speak or just participate and see friends in the peer industry. I'll be doing a, I also do weddings on occasion. So it's something that people just bring randomly asked me to do weddings. So I'm actually doing a wedding in Ottawa later this month, which is really funny. <laughs> so these are friends in the accounting industry that I met and hey, we'd love you to do our wedding. Oh, okay, sure. I'll love to do your wedding. <laughs> to do your wedding. So, so that's kind of funny as well. It's kind of a funny <laughs> thing that people just randomly ask me. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of funny. The wedding accountant. I love it. There you go. There's a new brand for you. <laughs> Well, Michael, hey, it's been great catching up with you. I look forward to seeing you at QuickBooks Connect. Awesome, thanks. This year, and let's do this again sometime soon. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.